Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to the gathering once again. My name is Steve. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, we are going to continue on in our conversation in Mark. So if you have a Bible or a phone, you can meet me in Mark chapter 10. As you're doing that, I just want to say that we are now fully into summer mode here uh, at Discovery in Davis in general. And um, this is actually one of my favorite times of the year. And uh, one of the reasons for that is, is just it slows down a little bit. It gets warmer, in case you didn't notice. Um, but it also slows down around here a little bit, which creates space for us to connect in ways that are maybe difficult to do during the busyness of the academic school year, right? And so just kind of building off of what David and Brian were talking about a moment ago, I, I think when we do things like Church in the Park last week, right, which our first Church in the Park of this summer, really sweet time over at uh, Rainbow City, um, whether we're here uh, in the theater or the 4th of July event or just other things that are going on, there, there feels like these really great opportunities are available to us, right, to connect in new ways, to get to make some, some new friends, to go deeper or, or uh, pick up maybe some old conversations, right? So my encouragement to you is to take advantage of that this summer, this extra space that we have to be together um, in... in uh, the sort of lack of, of busyness and grind that can accompany the rest of the year. Now, as uh, those guys just said a, a moment ago, we also, because people are gone and, and, you know, go on vacation, all that kind of stuff, there are opportunities to serve, and that connects uh, quite well with our conversation that we are having this morning. So, Mark chapter 10, we're going to begin in verse 35. I'm just going to read the whole, th the whole thing, and then I'll pray, and then we'll get into it, all right? So, John 10, verse 35, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Him here is Jesus. And they said, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Right? This is a great way to approach your boss. Okay, a little, little pro tip for work. Give us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus says. They replied, let us sit. Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, is Jesus' reply. You don't know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Oh, yeah, we can, they said. Jesus said to them, well, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit on my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those who, for whom they have been prepared. When the ten, the other disciples, heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them all together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servants, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are uh, grateful this morning to be able to gather, to um, still be able to use this space, even though there's all this construction going on around us. Thank you for uh, just the signs of life here in our city during the summer. 
for the spaces that we have to connect in new ways and different ways for the extra time or just the slower pace that gives us that opportunity. May we take advantage of that over the next several weeks. And Father, we ask now as we consider um, what in many ways may feel like a very straightforward passage or story is actually deeply, deeply challenging to us. We have so many uh, ideas and messages around what greatness looks like. And so would you chip away at that today and help us to see greatness through the lens of your kingdom, greatness as defined by Jesus. And as we often pray around here, God, would you give us the courage to respond to what you say to us today and whatever we actually know about is a woman named Shalane Flanagan. Shalane burst onto the scene at the University of North Carolina. She's a dude. 2003 and 2001, the NCAA titles for cross country two years in a row, 2003 and 2004. Right after graduation, she went pro and made the Olympic team, which was the first of four Olympic games that she would compete in. In 2008, she won the silver medal in the 10,000 meters, setting an American record in the process. And then after that, she was like, you know what, 10,000 meters is for sissies. And so she decided to run marathons and qualified for the next two Olympics as a marathon runner. She finished ninth in London and sixth in Rio. And then in 2017, probably the the high point of her career in a lot of ways. She won the New York City Marathon, the first time in 40 years that an American had won the New York City Marathon. She did it, for those of you who care about this kind of stuff, she did it in two hours and 26 minutes, which is fast. (laughs) Now, all of those accomplishments are incredible, but there's way more to her story than just her her individual accomplishments. In November 2017, a a reporter named Lindsey Krauss wrote an article for the New York Times in which she outlines the Shalane effect, which she calls the Shalane effect. So after 2008, again, this is the Olympics where she runs the 10,000 meters, wins the silver medal, sets the American record. She makes this big shift in her career, not just in the decision to run marathons, but also in how she trained. She uh, understood, um, and those of you who run, you kind of get this too, that a lot of running is time spent by yourself. And the typical model is, you know, you have a coach, you have a trainer, you have some other people that that are kind of part of your support team. But a lot of training for distance running is just you by yourself out there putting in the miles. Shalane realized this was not going to work for her based on her track background. She wanted people to train with. So she started recruiting women to be a part of her training process. And it wasn't just, I get bored running by myself. She invested in their success as well as her own. And so Krauss writes this. This is just so fascinating to me. She says, perhaps Flanagan's biggest accomplishment, right, biggest accomplishment lies in nurturing and promoting the rising talent around her. A rare quality in the cutthroat world of elite sports. Every single one of her training partners, okay, 11 women in total, has made it to the Olympics while training with her. An extraordinary feat. 
call it the Shalane effect. You serve as a rocket booster for the careers of the women who work alongside you while catapulting forward yourself. Remember, as she's doing this, she's also making the Olympic teams and finishing top 10 and winning the New York City Marathon. But at the same time, all 11 people she trains with also make the Olympics. Incredible. Shalane is an example of what we would call here at Discovery a hero maker. A hero maker. Now this raises an important question that I think is good to ask from time to time. This is an important question spiritually. It's an important question just developmentally. But it is the question, who is the hero of your story? Story. Now I say developmentally because there are stages of life where you need to be the hero, so to speak. Right? We don't... uh, have an expectation of babies that like right after they are born, they take care of themselves. And you certainly wouldn't want like a two-year-old babysitting uh, smaller children, right? Like developmentally, there are these stages we go through where, where it's okay for us to be sort of on the receiving end, right? Not only is it okay, but it's good and wise and, and healthy, In a similar way, when we first start on this journey of following Jesus, there is a level of self-focus that is good, right? As we learn and as we grow. But, But just like we would think that it is odd for an adult to be taken care of by their parents in the same way that they were when they were a baby... Right? There's a progression that happens in our journey with Jesus too, where it becomes less about us and more about others, where we move from the hero to the hero maker. Now, this is the process, the tension that we step into here in Mark chapter 10. Now, just to kind of rewind a little bit and give us some context, we left off a couple weeks ago right in the middle of chapter 9. This is where uh, Jesus goes up on a mountain, he's, he's transfigured, he meets with Moses and Elijah, this incredible moment, they come down off the mountain, and there's this stubborn demon that his disciples can't cast out, right? And there's this, there's this dad whose son is, is possessed by this demon, and we talked about that dad's great prayer, right, of I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. From there, Jesus, for a second time, predicts his death and resurrection, first time was in chapter 8. Second time in chapter 9, and there will be a third time coming up here in chapter 10. Predicts his death and resurrection. He welcomes some children. He, he teaches about how the first will be last. He warns uh, against not being welcoming of children. Then he teaches on divorce and riches. Uh, still two hot topics 2,000 years later. His teaching on those things then was mind-blowing and even a bit controversial. He then welcomes more children. Predicts his death and resurrection a third time. There's this pattern going on here in this part of the story. Welcoming and warning, teaching and prediction, welcoming and warning, teaching and prediction. And it's right in the midst of all of this, right on the heels of that third prediction that James and John come to Jesus and make their ridiculous request. Give us whatever we ask, right? This is almost like an office level comedic moment of situational unawareness. Like, what are you doing? Kind of a a ridiculous question to ask Jesus really at any time, but especially in this moment. Right, in this moment. 
So crazy that they ask, I think it's even crazier in some ways that Jesus indulges them. Right? What, what do you want, he says. Tell me about this. <laughs> what are you going to ask me? And I think that he could probably be a lot more harsh. I, I think he could be a lot more critical of them. But he uses this as an opportunity to sort of lovingly correct them. Right? This becomes a teachable moment. Now, this idea of lovingly correcting something is actually a really important part of leadership or some new rules for them to follow. He's actually protecting the mission. We might say it this way. Jesus and his kingdom have soft edges but a strong core. Soft edges but a strong core. And at the core, there is great clarity. There is great clarity about the mission, which he'll go on to talk about here in a moment, right? To serve, not to be Served. Not about who sits on the left and the right hand side, but about who picks up the towel, so to speak, and serves others. Jesus, very open, very open to all sorts of people. This has been a theme that we've seen again and again as we've made our way through the Gospel of Mark, right? Open to people, oftentimes very open to people that normally would not have access to someone like him, to a rabbi to a leader, to a spiritual authority. But man, when you get down to the core of the mission, Jesus is very, very protective of this, right? Protecting it from competing agendas, personal preferences, the things that we just sort of like and want to hold on to that maybe don't always fit in terms of serving the larger mission. Jesus and all good leaders sometimes have to say, hey, that's good, but this is better. That's how... We used to do it. This is how we're doing it now. That's how it happens over there, but this is how we're going to do it over here. Are you with me? Rome had positions of power. Rome as an empire was built on hierarchy and flow charts, and this is who's in charge. Jesus says in the kingdom it's not like that. It's not how that's going to work here. In the kingdom, greatness is defined by positions of service, not positions of power. Rome is about who's first, who's on the top of that chart, who has the most money, who has the most influence. The kingdom is about who's last. Who's last, who's left out, who's not here, how can we help them be a part of what's going on? Rome is about taking, right? Taking power, taking money, taking anything, lives, right, to keep the machine going. The kingdom is about giving itself away. James and John have spent quite a bit of time with Jesus. They're still very much in process, though. We see here how much they have been formed by Rome. Remember how we talk about discipleship is formation? We're all being formed by something. Here, James and John sort of play their cards. Here's how we've been formed by these other voices. Here's how we've been formed by Rome. We want the best seats. We want the top positions. We want the right and left hand, which is to say we want the most important positions of power in your kingdom. Vice president and chief of staff. Offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. Use whatever analogy works for you. Jesus says, uh, I love Jesus' answer. He says, you don't know what you're asking. 
You don't even know what you're asking. Then he says this weird thing, right? Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Now, this is a direct callback to his predictions of his death. Remember, he's done this three times now. Chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10. I'm going to be handed over to the authorities. I'm going to be put on trial. I'm going to be killed. But three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. That's the cup. That's the baptism that he is talking about. In other words, again, echoing something that he said earlier, he's asking them, are you ready for this? Are you ready to pick up your cross and to die with me? You don't even know what you're asking. And of their response pretty much indicates that, right? They're like, oh, yeah, no problem. We can do that. Do you know what he means by baptism? Like, what is that? You know, I kind of have that image in my mind as we read this story. Jesus confirms, yeah, you will experience this in your own way. Right, this cup, this baptism, you will experience it in your own way. But then he goes on to make this other comment about, you know, I don't even get to choose who's at the right and the left-hand side of me. If I had to hazard a guess here, I think that this is a reference to the Trinity. Right, that Father, Son, and Spirit are in these positions. But you know what, that's just that's my hot take on that particular thing. It's not actually, I think, the most important part of the story. Because I think what happens next, the loving correction that Jesus is going to provide them, this is the heart, I think. And so Jesus calls them all together, right, gathers them together. This is a great leadership moment. This is a good, uh, what a good coach does. Hey, let's huddle up. Let's get back on the same page here. And he just lays it out for them. Remember, Jesus a lot of times will use parables, we'll use questions, we'll use sort of misdirection to kind of illuminate or, or, or give some insight or to sort of test and see who's with me and who's following. Here he just lays it out really clearly. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Don't do it that way. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave at all. If this feels like it comes out of left field, uh, go back and read the, the, the three chapters that precede this. He's been talking about this all the time. Losing your life to find it. Laying yourself down. The last will be first. All these sorts of things have been building up towards this moment. And then he ends it with, you know, this sort of mic drop. This is saying, did not come, even the Son of Man, even, even I, Jesus, is saying, did not come, to be served, but to serve. And to give my life as a ransom for many. Now we live in a moment where leadership and authority is deeply questioned, sort of held at arm's length for a lot of good reasons. Right? For a lot of good reasons. I think that's a, a cultural phenomenon. It's also, I think, an issue in the church. We've seen leadership abused in so many ways inside and outside the church. And so we tend to kind of mistrust it and hold it at a distance. And yet at the same time, we also live in a moment where fame and influence are, are held up as ultimate cultural values. And there are even Studies of young people that, that, that show emerging generations care more about being famous than about 
uh, you know, career, security, or making X amount of money or whatever. It's like, I just want to be famous. It's interesting, right? At the same time, we want fame, but we also don't want leadership. I think it was actually uh, Pastor Antonio who pointed this out in our, in our conversation about this text. Those go together. Right, those go together. We want the impact and meaning of leadership without the responsibility and risk and weight of leadership. And I get all of that. I feel all of that very deeply. But the reality is our world desperately needs more hero makers and less heroes. More servants and less influencers. More people who are willing to be last so that others can be first. Are you with me? Now, when we talk about hero making, this can sometimes be language that feels weird, especially for those of us who have church background, because the initial reaction is like, oh, wait a minute, Jesus is the hero. And there's a lot of truth to that. That's actually a really good pushback, I think. Jesus is the hero of the big story that God is telling in the world. Absolutely. This is what we celebrate when we gather each week, when we gather around the table, when we take communion. We celebrate and remember our hero, Jesus. But Jesus invites us to follow him, right? To imitate him, to live our lives the way that he would live in our place, to participate in his death. To lay our lives down, to pick up our cross, to lose the world and gain our souls, to become great by serving. Which again is modeled for us by Jesus himself. Even the Son of Man came to give himself away. And so the hero is also a hero maker. If you think about this, even from like a storytelling perspective, every hero has that person in their story who helps them accomplish their mission or their goal, right? Harry has Voldemort. Moana has Maui. This should tell you everything you need to know about the stage of life that I've been in for the last couple of years, right? Every hero has a hero maker who helps them accomplish their goal, who helps them save the day, who helps them accomplish the mission. Now, the beauty of the king be Maui, sometimes it's even interchangeable with the same person. But again, the measure of greatness, the measure of greatness, the way that Jesus defines greatness in the kingdom is through serving. To go back to where we started with the Shalane effects, greatness in the kingdom is not how many medals did you win, it's how many people did you boost onto the Olympic team. Our world desperately needs more hero makers and less heroes. Now let's, let's <clears throat> try to make this practical here for just a moment. How can we take steps towards hero making? I do think we have a tendency to overcomplicate this. I think it all begins with friendship. Jesus who here in this scene with James and John uses the metaphor of servant to talk about greatness, later on, at least chronologically, in the Gospel of John, talks about it this way. He says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants. Notice the change of language. 
I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. To be a hero maker really is to just be a good friend. It's to serve and to lay your life down for someone else. To, to model the self-giving, sacrificial, others-oriented love of God. This is simply a picture of the gospel. Right, an embodiment of the good news of Jesus. Again, I think we sometimes overcomplicate this. We think that, oh man, I, I got to be the kind of person who writes books or has 10,000 followers on social media or I, I got to have a system and a checklist and tell me the three things that I need to do. And there are some good steps and techniques and, and questions that you can ask. But at the end of the day, it's just about being a good friend. Lay your life down for your friends and you will very quickly gain a reputation as a hero maker. Make your life about empowering other people and you will very quickly gain a reputation as a hero maker. This flies in the face of so much cultural messaging, even messaging we get in the church, right, which says, oh, I got to be fed first. I got to get my needs met first. Then I can go help somebody else. There is some truth to that. But, but what does Jesus say? Lose your life to find it. Give yourself away to gain your soul. We've, we've used this quote a few times before, but it's worth saying again from Erwin McManus, wholeness is not found through receiving, but through giving. Wholeness and generosity are inseparably linked. Paradoxically, we become whole as we give ourselves away. Too often we think, I need to be whole, then I can give myself away. And yes, there are nuances to this. We do need to, to uh, mature and grow to certain levels before we step into specific roles. But Erwin, again, is just quoting Jesus. Lose your life to find it. We become whole as we give ourselves away. At the risk of, of overwhelming you with metaphors, give me, give me one more shot here. <laughs> So my son Cruz and I, we, we have an annual tradition. We go camping every year. And this last year, which was just two weeks ago, right before Church in the Park, we went up to uh, Big Trees um, just past Arnold on, on Highway 4 and um, had a great time. One day, though, we decided, actually I decided. I don't know how, how much he decided this. Um, but we wanted to drive up, like way up into the And <clears throat> we drive up there. And as we're going, you know, I mean, it's beautiful territory. You see all these wonderful things. Um, but we saw a lot of water. Um, and particularly, you know, after this winter where we've seen so much rain and snow, it's kind of cool to see all the, all the water. There's still actually a ton of snow up there. So we saw a bunch of lakes, which are really just ponds. And then we saw a river, right? The, I think it's one of the forks of the Stanislaus. And it struck me... Through the mountains, the difference, right, between ponds and rivers. I think a lot of times we, we've either been trained or we've, we've sort of, uh, this is the theology that we've been given or it's just, again, the cultural messaging we receive. We think of ourselves as a pond, right? It's basically this, this thing that doesn't really exist until something comes and fills it up. And then it just kind of sits there, and then eventually it runs out, and it needs to be refilled. 
And the truth is, you are not a pond. You are a river. You are a river, giving and receiving. Right, with this access to the incredible love of God. Right, given to us freely as a gift through his son, Jesus Christ. You are not a pond who needs to be filled up in order to be useful. You are a life-giving river. And I think that shift in our minds and in the ways that we live is huge. It's a visual to me of the shift from hero to hero maker. The wild adventure of the kingdom of God that Jesus is inviting us to where the last are first, where the servants are great, where we lose our life to find it, that adventure can only be lived as a river. Serve to find greatness, Jesus says. In, in reflecting on this, the Apostle Paul writes, in Philippians 2, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By the way, a lot of people think that this was actually a song that Paul was sort of transcribing, a song that they would sing together. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of his servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the good news of Jesus. Right? That God became a man through Jesus and in great humility became obedient to death on a cross that we might have life. Right? That we might experience and know right relationship with God and with each other. As we'll sing in a moment, Jesus paid it all. And so we are free. We're free from the earning, free from performing, free from justifying and proving ourselves. But we are also called to have the same mindset. To see ourselves as a river. To become great by serving. To be a hero maker. So here in a moment, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a couple of song, uh, stations up here, but also don't forget there's those two um, kind of in the midsection as well. As we gather around the table today, and as we sing these final songs, again, where we remember and celebrate our hero, Jesus, may we also remember our call to serve. Right, to follow the hero the hero maker, right, who came not to serve but to be served and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we confess that all too often we get wrapped up in other definitions of greatness. That it can be very easy for us to be formed in the ways of Rome, all the current versions of that, that tell us greatness comes through attention, through influence, through following, through people uh, looking at us, 
that comes through power. There's so many other messages that we receive, God, so we confess the ways in which we've been formed by that. And then we come to the table today humbled, grateful, worshipful. That you do not just tell us to do this, to, to serve some people, to do some things for your kingdom, but that you have modeled it for us. Through your son Jesus, who came not to serve, but to be served. Sorry, not to be served, but to serve. Who came to give his life for us. Thank you for your kingdom that turns everything upside down. Or right side up for that matter. Where the last become first. Where we become whole as we give ourselves away. Where you change our hearts to become less centered and focused on ourselves and more focused on you and the others around us. May our uh, church, both individually and collectively, be known for the ways that it serves. May our definition of greatness be formed by your definition of greatness. We pray this in Jesus' name.